Hey everyone, this is Josh Itzo, author of The Fiduciary Formula, and you're listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast, where I share the latest information on corporate retirement plan trends, ideas, and best practices. On the show, I feature industry experts across multiple disciplines to get their unique perspectives and actionable insights about what it takes to navigate the complexities of ERISA and provide a great retirement plan for employees in a rapidly changing world. If you're a retirement plan decision maker at your company or a retirement industry professional, this podcast is for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 35 of the Fiduciary You podcast. My guest today is Jason Chepnick, who's a senior vice president of retirement and wealth for One Digital. Now, Jason is one of the most creative and colorful people in the industry that I've ever met. I mean, for goodness sake, the guy has been known to hire a taco truck and take it around to client locations, giving out free tacos to employees that sign up for the company 401k plan. On this episode, Jason and I discuss all kinds of cool topics. We're kind of kindred spirits in terms of how we think creatively about things, and I have a blast with this conversation in this episode. We talk about a number of different topics, everything from his transition from owning and running his family business, Chepnik Financial, to selling to One Digital, and the reasons he feels like he made such a great decision for his clients and for his people, and ultimately for himself and his family. We cover how exciting and challenging it's been for him to transform from small business owner and plan advisor into more of a corporate exec and manager that's tasked with expanding the region that he's responsible for, and how this buy-in mentality and this openness to creativity at One Digital has helped him stay driven and motivated and focused. We touch on his passion for community engagement and how this has really fueled his success over the years. And we talk a little bit about things like his 401k race for financial fitness that has raised more than a million dollars to support community-based financial literacy programs. And we even talk a little bit about managing vendor relationships as well as a number of different things. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Fiduciary You podcast with Jason Chepnick. Jason, welcome to the Fiduciary You podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest today. I'm psyched, man. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. As have I. Obviously, you and I have known each other a really long time in the industry. We're, we're, we're similar ages. I think you got me by a year or two, but you know, always had a tremendous amount of respect that the, for you and, and, and the way that you built your business at um, Chapnick Financial and a lot of the creativity. And so we're going to have a good discussion. But obviously now I, I, I think... You know, you're in a different phase of your career and, and the things that you guys are doing at One Digital. And so I'm really excited just to kind of talk about a wide ranging discussion. And I think you bring a lot of really cool flair to the industry. We're not known as an industry that where there's a lot of flair, but but I've always seen you as a super creative. You know, if you worked at what would it be like Ruby Tuesdays, you would have lots of buttons like on your suspenders. Ruby Tuesdays is what you picked out of your head. Is it Ruby Tuesdays? Yeah. What is it? What yeah, is it? I, now, I'm not really a good service type of employee in that zone. But yes, I would probably have a little flare on. But I think you would have some buttons. I think you'd have a lot of buttons. Yes, that's true. So, well, how are things going? And how, how, how long has it been since, since you guys sold to One Digital? A couple of years? We, yeah, a little over two years, so February 1st, 2020, six weeks before COVID hit our land and changed the landscape okay. forever. Timing was really good for all of that, but it's it's been two years, seems like it's 15 years, like it's dog years these days. I hear that. That that timing was actually, you know, in some ways probably was, was really, really good. I mean, obviously you get a deal done before a global pandemic that that's good timing for, you know, for you and your team, obviously. But did that help just kind of transition wise? Because, you know, not to say that your clients would have kind of gone out to market or anything like that with a transition, but I actually think you're starting to see more of that actually just, just kind of the due diligence to make sure in the midst of a global pandemic, in a lot of ways, they that was like the last thing on their mind. So in some ways... Yeah, Josh, it helped us a lot in lots of different ways. Like one thing I, I, I've given a lot of thought to is how much stress I personally would have taken on dealing with things like PPP money and are, is my team okay? Also knowing I had pressures to grow my own business and help my clients, which made them a long time friends now. 
and their employees. I just think it, it just in my head, it's all red, like massive amount of stress. And by being part of one digital at that time, a big part of the stress level was lifted off of my chest, mm. which allowed me to stay highly focused on how do we now grow? We've gotten place. How do we take care of our clients? Unfortunately, being part of a large enterprise, there's a lot more tools at my disposal and a lot of people looking out for us. It helped. It, it helped us manage that, that moment, I think, really well. It, you know, it's still, it's hard to believe it was only two years ago that this all happened. So many things have happened, right? In our personal worlds. And I had some things that I, that I didn't expect to happen that my father retired right before we were acquired and we had worked together for a long time. And, and my, my dad's biggest fear was if he stopped working mentally, it, it would start, he would start to deteriorate and maybe physically as well. And then sadly that did happen. Mm. And so there were some things that, uh, that started to happen to me that adjusted my viewpoint of what's most important in life. So it wasn't mm. just the business. It was where am I spending my time, my energy and my focus on the right things. And so I, it was a blessing for me to spend some of that time with my father continue to during that. I would have been so distracted and so overly stressed. It would have been more difficult. And do you feel like because you didn't, you know, there's a difference between being an advisor and actually running a business and, you know, the position you were in was as a business owner. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, being an advisor there, you don't get the equity upside per se, but you don't have the stress of, what it actually means on the back end to be responsible for a large number of people and, and, you know, things like dealing with vendors and overhead and accounting and HR and technology and all of that stuff, which a lot of ways is, can be distracting. Do you think the fact that you were able to kind of offload that to one digital allowed you to be kind of more present with your clients, but then also because you didn't, if let's just say you had, you know, all that, that running the business, maybe it took 30 or 40 or 50% of your time. Now you've got essentially that back. Some of that goes to focusing on clients, but then also it creates that margin for you to kind of spend time with your yeah, team. All of that, everything you just mentioned. I mean, I, I went from having a great team, but a small team and let's call it eight of us when we came over to One Digital, where then I had an army the next day. I had an entire accounting team that was there when I needed them to model things out. I never did that before. Mm. If I was looking to hire talent, I have an entire team, HR team that helps me recruit and vet things out, think about things differently. I, I was given this, this entire army of people that were here on demand, basically, even though COVID was happening, a pandemic to them too, all figuring out how are we going to do this together? Yeah, it, my, my focus changed to some degree. I got rid of the things I didn't have to worry about being a business owner. But I did get to spend more time with family, with our clients, but I'm a guy who loves new ideas. So, you know, I, I joined a company that has just a truckload of new ideas. So to me, my currency was always, I've got some crazy new idea. They weren't always crazy, but sometimes they were. And I could now walk into my clients who knew me as this and just bring them, you know, 50, 100 new things that were also awesome. And, and that if I wasn't part of this organization, that would be more difficult to do. And so I'm blessed that I really, I chose correctly. I yeah. haven't always made great business decisions, but this one was, if I'm, if I'm on the backside of my career, I certainly am psyched that I made one of the best ones ever at this point in my life. It, it sounds like you've been, you know, I, I, like you. And I think that, that that's probably why I've always had so much respect for you as I'm kind of an ideas person as well. And, and, you know, with being an ideas person, you have to be willing to, you have to accept failure, which is tough for a lot of advisors, right? Because everybody wants to model out and kind of plan for when you're an ideas person, a lot of times bringing ideas to market means that you have to be okay to fail and fail fast. And some ideas are going to work and some ideas aren't. I would say that probably selling to a, you know, working for a big company, did you have worries or fears that, hey, I'm a really creative guy. I've got a track record of doing that. I had total freedom to be able, because when I was, it was my company, I could kind of decide whether or not to pilot or test an idea. And were you nervous about whether or not One Digital was going to, to, if your ideas, it was going to be a place where your ideas went to die or whether they, 
you'd have the ability to actually play that out on a, maybe a broader scale with some more resources behind it? And the way you posed that question was like you were in my head. I mean, I, I would say that, um, first of all, fearless, by the way, that, that is, yes, it's dark and scary. Don't compare. You know, the word fearless comes to mind. Fearless doesn't mean you're not afraid. It means I'm afraid, but I want to do it anyway. Right. And so I'm very much like that. I know that I don't always get it right, but I'm pretty good. If, if I'm, if I'm getting it right eight out of 10 times or nine out of 10 times, you know, that idea of uh, a cutting edge means you get cut sometimes, but yeah. I want to be there. I want to be first to market. And I've got this client list you know, that, that that I've been attracted to them for different reasons. They've been attracted to working to, with me. And so we're very self-aware, I am and my team, of what the kind, right kind of clients are. They're hungry for our ideas, mm. and I want to live in that space. But going to One Digital, I recognized it was a financial transaction for them more than it was based on culture. And, and, and by the way, it's a very much culture-driven company, but they're so super smart. It's, all, it's a financial decision too, right? So my, it was a lot of my head of they're buying me for the numbers and the talent we've got, not because I had a food truck idea at some point in my life that, that allowed me to get some fame. So I was a little scared at first of, all right, how much do I hold back? How much do I jump in and just show all my ideas? Some of this might be as I've got a little older, I hold back a little bit just to make sure I'm reading the room mm-hmm. and what's going on. But as I got to know my friends and my colleagues at One Digital, they're all hungry for new ideas too. And I was able to provide them to my team, which inspired, it became contagious. There's a lot more fun stuff happening around me. People across the country come to me, Jason, what do they like this idea or that idea? And so it became this injection of energy was both ways. I was, you know, was getting more energized with being part of the system. My friends and colleagues around me clearly were feeling the same thing. So it turned out to be both. I think it, much of it was in my head. And in the beginning, I was a little timid because I also had this thing when you run your own business for a long time. Yes, I sold it, but I wanted to prove to that they made a good purchase, that they made a good decision by bringing you know, Chetnik Financial legacy on board. We were value add more than just numbers. And I, I was waiting for that mo- mo- you know, moment sort of space to figure out who other players were and then make sure that I had thought through kind of how I'm going to do this. Turned out, it turned to be a great marriage. I mean, it has turned out to be a great, great marriage and we're having a lot of fun. The other thing, by the way, that this these crazy ideas have done for me is it makes me take myself less seriously. Thank goodness, because I could be a very serious guy. Right. But if I get my team in the room, we start dropping some crazy, silly ideas. We start laughing. And if I go into a client or a prospect and they start laughing and giggling and then come back to me with a few silly puns, they're no longer in the serious zone either. They're having fun. And we're having fun. It's a whole lot easier to implement some of these ideas. And that has been as powerful message, I think, for anybody who thinks they can't be creative in this space. You want more of it because it does change. It allows the engagement quotient to really come alive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I have a couple of thoughts on what you said. One of them though, is that I think that creativity and, you know, this is serious business that we're in, but not taking yourself so seriously. And I think that creativity it captures the hearts and minds. Like everybody wants to talk about, and that's really kind of the business that I'm in now, right? With some of the things I'm trying to build is like, how do advisors, like if you really want to move your clients to take action and to achieve aspirational goals, you have to capture their hearts and minds. And you don't do that through bits and bytes of information. And I think that's what's been cool is just to hear you talk about this is, I would imagine that, you know, Vince and One Digital, as the kind of courtship was telling you, like, hey, you're going to have the freedom and the flexibility to be able to do this. But you really don't know, you know, in some ways you don't know, you know, you can be prepared to get married and then you say I do. But it's not till you wake up the next day or six months, you know, after you say I do or a year that you start to realize like, okay, did I, you know. Am I married to the right person? And it sounds like, because not every model, there are firms I'm sure that you talk to, like some of them are like, hey, this is the way we do it. You're going to come in, you're going to adopt this. And like, 
you know, yeah. with all respect, we don't really want your ideas. We want you to go out and do your job. And for some folks, that might be the right place. But for a guy like you, clearly that wouldn't have been the right place for you to land. It wouldn't have been. I was also nervous about things like, like again, how much visibility, you know, if I is too crazy, does that mean I get shown the door? Like I wanted to, to I had to figure some of that stuff out. And thankfully, this is a place that it's just, I, I imagine it like a like a river flowing quickly through a city, and if you jump in the river, the rivers of new ideas. I'm bathing in it. I'm drinking from it. I love it. And those, interestingly enough, they're not having as much success at One Digital are these firms that have been acquired, and they're standing on the shore. The mm. firms that are having the best success are the ones that jumped in the river and full on like it's a big party, and we're just enjoying this fast road flowing river of excitement and new ideas and we're going to you know land where the river takes us and that's the best vision i can describe i have this have some great great stewards their business that are sold to one digital we love them and i i would love to see them sort of enjoying yeah the fun with us and being part of the mix a bit more and and do you think part of we talked a little bit before we started recording and I really think there's two kind of different perspectives there. Is, and it depends upon probably a couple of factors when you're selling a firm is, you know, how much money you're taking down. Right. So, you know, financially what your age is and how much more runway do you want? But really the two differences is, do you take more of a buy-in mentality or a buyout mentality? Right. Mm-hmm. If, if it's more of a financial transaction and, and what this is, you know, for founders, like, Firms in the industry have become incredibly valuable, life-changing money. And so if it's more of like, hey, for whatever reason, I just don't have the energy to do it anymore, or, you know, I've worked really hard for a really long time and I'm approaching retirement and I've got other priorities, doesn't mean that a buyout approach isn't a good way to do it. You do it, you you, you spend your three years being a good steward of like doing your earn out and transitioning things over. But in that case, I would imagine that obviously there's probably a growth target on the back end that from a growth perspective, but you know, your goal is to kind of get to the end of the three year earn out and then probably move on and do other things. But a guy like you, it seems like, you know, at, at 50 still young is you've got more to do. So instead of this buyout, more of this buy-in mentality. And if you have this buy-in mentality, the goal is not just to kind of stay still or kind of keep the status quo. It's how do we continue to grow and push the envelope and accomplish more. And it sounds like if you've got a buy-in mentality, you jump in the river and you go for the ride. If you've got more of a buy-out mentality, and that's not to say that's the wrong thing for, you know, people yeah. to make their own decisions, but if it's more of a buy-out, it's like, you know what, I'm just going to sit kind of on the shore and wave as everybody goes by, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's definitely, you know, I'm seeing it now, not just in the retirement wealth space, but even in the employee benefit firms that have been acquired. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you could figure it out in advance unless that person is sharing their thoughts and their game plan. But shortly after a transaction, you can sort of figure out who's, you know, because right away you're on 15 Zooms a day and 22 Teams calls a day and right. being asked to do this and that. And and there's some that's been really hard. So it does bring back right in your face. I mean, right in your face, this life work, you know, balance idea. And you have to manage what you can mm. and come with a game plan of how to work around that. But I have always seen myself as being a buy-in person. So I knew right away I, I wanted to be part of the organization. You use the term grow. I'm continuously growing personally and professionally. Evolving, I think, is another good word to use there. That... What we built at Chetnik Financial was changing anyhow. With COVID, the whole world has changed. And so to be part of an organization that's constantly thinking about things differently, it speaks right to me. And, you know, a lot of my peers are right in the mix. My t- I also have been able to see some cool stuff, by the way, I'll mention this, that my team has found paths to bigger roles. When they were just at Chetnik Financial, you know, my name's in the door. So they're not going to, unless I marry them, they're not going to be Chetnik, right? So what happens if you're working for me and they hit a certain level? Like I, I always figured one day they would leave the nest and go some other place. I'm really thrilled to be here because now I'm able to go to my various team members and show them a different career path 
that goes way beyond anything else. There's something cool there I wasn't thinking about when we sold that I think is really valuable for people that have young teams that are good at mentoring or see growth out of this next generation. That's a super cool and very fulfilling thing for me as the business owner to see that happen. I'm not upset about the people that want to leave. In fact, I actually thought after talking to my friends that sold their businesses that I might be me. Maybe I joined this company. I'm not going to be a good corporate exec. It doesn't seem to fit me so well. I don't know. And maybe I'll just go the three years. That changed instantly when I joined the company, especially in the mix of the pandemic to see who was doing what and how exciting it was. I was ready for that change. I really was ready to grow differently. There was a few minutes where I wasn't as creative because I was mostly listening to my soul and figuring out where am I going to use this at again? Very fortunate six months in, we started, we just started sharing our, our you know, having fun again. Yeah. And, and I, I think the lacking having fun wasn't joining One Digital. It was the fact that the world was ending all around us and we're all trying to figure out how to survive. Right. That's where the lack of fun came in. Right. So once we got that back in, uh, things started to change uh, in a good way. You know, one of the tough things about the advisory business is that, like, if you've done it for a while, it's like, the video game becomes pretty easy. Like you got all the cheat codes and the video game like kind of loses its, the challenging nature of it. That's not to diminish it. I mean, I know I went through that as in some ways I was like, okay, I've figured out how to do this. Like I need to be challenged again. Some days I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, did I really need to be as challenged as I put myself in a position to be challenged? But you know, the advisory role, you could probably do that in, yeah, you could have in your sleep after having done it so long, this new role that you're in, where you're more of like running a region, what have been the things that have like really kind of forced you out of your comfort zone and forced you to kind of learn new skills the most? And what have you learned about yourself in this new kind of role that requires essentially like recruiting these more kind of business muscle fibers, if you will? I mean, I've got lots of things popping through my mind, but I would say control that, you know, Hawk and 401k plans. I still like going after the big chase. I, I still like, you like, the hunt. Deal. You, you like the hunt. I like the hunt a lot, like knocking down a deal. I help. I also enjoy finding a dysfunctional committee or one that doesn't have, doesn't know what their function is, maybe is a better way to say it, and helping them come together and help understand what success looks like. Mm. So that has always been a good, fun group think type of exercise for me. But the part that I had to really work on was letting go of control of day-to-day of those plans. I have an awesome team around me. And once that plan is onboarded to one digital, then my team knows what the next step is. And I trust them to, you know, record-keeping, shop the plan, making sure they reevaluate investments. They have right fiduciary governance procedures in place. All the stuff that I was always worried about because I was juggling every ball and making sure that my clients were getting done. For me to let go of that role on a daily basis was maybe my hardest task because mm-hmm. every now and then I'll still reply to some email and copy it on. As you know, Josh, just because I'm no longer doing the day-to-day stuff, clients still reach out to me personally. Right. And right. my team realizes that they still think of me. And so, and if they don't reply fast enough, I'm going to reply. So I have to like bite my tongue and let the team do it. I think that was the whole Se- se- Secretly, do you like... There is something about the need to be needed and wanting to be kind of like the, you know, we're an ego driven bunch in this industry and wanting to be kind of like the, you know, the guy who makes the bath, you know, the, the, the buzzer beater, right. It, it hits the winning shot. Is it tough to fight that urge at times? Like, you know what? I need to pass the ball here instead of like shoot for, I need to pass first, shoot second, instead of shoot first, pass second. For, for some of the roles, yes. Like I tried doing participant education. I had to fill in for one of my team members <laughs> last year, year and a half. And I was awful at it. <laughs> I forgot everything. I didn't know what to say. I was like, oh my God, I was nervous. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is no longer a role for me. I hadn't done it in years. And then there's been a few other ones where, I'm in the room and I gave some, you know, misinformation, I should say, to, and, and I had to have one of my guys say, Jason, that's just not how we do it anymore. So I had to, had to eat my own crow a few times and just learn a lesson, which is I'm still really good at lots of things. I love getting the team to do, to think differently. Mm. I love learning, leaning into the one digital 
other things, which is you know a lot, and then bringing those ideas that I think fits to our clients. I love finding new ways to communicate to employees, mm. and I think I'm better off doing this and inspiring others. But being in the mix, helping a client, you know, I I, I don't want to use the term I know enough to be dangerous because I likely am dangerous. Yeah. And why be dangerous when I have an awesome team that that they will protect the client and maybe for me too. There's no reason to be dangerous any longer. That's funny, Jason. That's that's not how we do it anymore. Like you just you just sit over the corner yeah. and be quiet. We'll take it from here. And, you know, I, I get thoughts of my dad. My dad and I worked together for 20 years. I got thought. I remember me telling my dad that too, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, have I become my dad in this role?" Mm. Uh, that's come up a few times. But but it, what does what does make me happy is to see my team doing so well to see the successes we're having within the system, to see our ideas be shared across the system, saying, look what team you know, Orlando One Digital is doing. And that makes us, that makes me really proud. It, it's cool just to, to be on podcasts like this today and to recognize for the, the difference that I made or my team has made in this industry does fill that space up inside my heart that says, we really did a good job here. And, mm-hmm. We brought something to the table that was different than others. What's the best, most impactful idea you've ever come up with? And what was the result? And what's the worst idea that you ever came up with? Well, I'll tell you my best idea ever. And it's not going to be the food truck one, though. It's a pretty good one. That was my best idea I've ever had was to get involved in community. So very early on in my career, I started joining boards and committees but finding places that I really loved. I mean, I was really tapping into my heartstrings. Like, hey, I liked being involved in various parts of the of the community here in Orlando. And I met the best people and they introduced me to other people. But it, it, was, it was done with authenticity. I loved it. And I would show up and volunteer and I would give it all and I would write checks. I love being part of those organizations. And it fed, I can still look back at how much business came to me simply from knowing all those people. And where do I meet them all? all? I met them all by being on these boards. So I, I still try to tell my team, that's what made it for me. By the way, what I'm involved in doesn't mean that you have to be involved in the same thing. What makes you wake up, like get excited about something? What's your passion? And um, that's my best whenever. I do love the fact that we, by the way, from that, we did start the 401k race for financial fitness which um, ultimately raised more than a million dollars across seven states that exist today. I am in the process of donating the trademarks that I secured for that to Junior Achievement so that the legacy can continue. And from a time balance perspective, I don't have the time to operate a 401k race in addition to my other roles at One Digital. So I've been able to do that. That's probably my best idea. I do love the fact that very few people would have said, let's let's go ahead and fully wrap a taco truck and take it to clients. My team laughed at me and said, this is crazy, Jason. And I am very proud of the fact that we did it and it worked out and then we have a bunch more. Did you actually buy the truck? So we rented a food truck. Okay. We had it wrapped and we and you could take the wrapping off. You no, know, so that food truck ultimately he was so slow. He showed up late to two of our events. And if you show up late to two events, you don't have the privilege of serving tacos to my clients anymore. Right. But we found another one that was uh, awesome. And now we've evolved into, I have other, my concept is feed your future, Josh. So the idea is to build out all of our food concepts, feeding your future. Our next big one is our hot dog theme, where it's time to have a frank conversation about retirement, catch up on your future and relish your dreams. Uh, um, that's in part why I wanted to have you on. I mean, that is seriously, that is, that is marketing gold right there. But, but I've got ones that, that I don't mind sharing with everybody out here. Like things like, why can't you walk into a meeting and have every single person record a one minute video of what retirement looks like to them? I'm talking about from the C-suite down to housekeeping, because once somebody records a video, of what retirement looks like to them, I can hold them accountable to yeah. that vision. I can play it back to them in a year from now. I can run the math and say, great, you want to do that? In order to make that dream come true, you have to save with this clip or have this much money. And it's an idea that's free. 
And if everybody company did that, and then we'd have fun, and once a year we would pick out our favorite video and give them a prize. I like ideas that don't cost any money to have to implement and yet can be as impactful and be relevant. I mean, to me, that's the best word is relevant. Like, let's use something that people are thinking about today, not some crazy idea. And, so mem- I, 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 and, mem- and memorable, right? Like, and, relevant. And memorable. And I, I do take it on seriously, Josh, that I love sharing my best ideas. The world is round. I want to be a net giver. I want to walk into a conference. I want to have a conversation like this. I don't hold back. If somebody stole my idea and it worked for another client, awesome. Yeah. If the client stole my idea or a prospect, they weren't going to be a good client for me because they were looking to take things from me. So I, I'm always okay with that. People used to ask me that all the time. It's just like, because I've tried to do the same thing as be, you know, generous in spirit. You know, I've, I've gotten some, a lot of, you know, good number of things right over the years. I've made a bunch of mistakes too. And you can kind of, you know, people can learn from both. And, but people used to always say like, why do you give everybody like your ideas? Like, why are you so open about that? And I was like, well, number one I found is like, most people actually won't follow through on the ideas that like, I could give uh-huh. them the entire playbook And they're not going to do anything with it. I was like the small percentage that does, I'm super pumped for them. Like I'm excited. Like I have no problem with that whatsoever. And like Uh, you said, the people who not enough advisors interview prospects to make sure they'd be good clients. Like advisors are so like, they'll take anybody on, but like, that's the worst. That's the worst advice in my opinion. You should be interviewing prospects like for the privilege of being your client not what they're interviewing you, but you should be interviewing them. Like life's too short to take on back clients. Yeah. A hundred percent. And and you, you asked me, what's the worst thing? The worst things are, aren't what you expect. It would be, I worked very hard. Like my hobby was working and I look back on it and I love live music. So I would go to the New Orleans jazz fest every year. That's my vacation, but I really wasn't taking time for myself, my head to relax. So I could think of my next big ideas. Mm. I, I wish I took more time off. Just, blocked out time I calendar or took days off here and there. Um, that would be when I, I think there are moments that I wish I had slowed down on certain decisions and thought through, you know, hiring people when you're your own business or a small business, you make a lot of gut moves versus modeling things out and what's the impact and is this the right investment. So I think formalizing a business plan, sticking to it, making sure that you are asking for advice and Hey, what are my blind spots to my team? not just talking to them, but listening. I think the things that I, I'm learning now in my wise, my wise old age is that, you know, there were things that I wish I had done a little differently that would have helped me become a better steward of my business um, and care more than just the next big crazy idea. I really am very proud of the community well-being concept. I'm so happy to see the rest of the industry really honor and you know, and support each other for our successes in our communities. That isn't enough. I would have liked to have been more involved in, in some of the political action, like hey, using my voice, hey, this is what's working. This is what we need. And and maybe not just to, yeah, hey, let somebody else do that. I'm um, doing more of that today. And there's a lot of these kind of things, more esoteric. I, I would go back to that phrase that smart people learn from their own mistakes, but wise people learn from other people's mistakes. I've always been smart. I've never been wise. I hope that those listening to this or my, you know, people I'm hiring have looked at what's worked and what hasn't and make the wise move. What would you say if, if I was to ask like your team, what would you say, what do you think they would say are your blind spots? That I run really fast and I don't slow down. So I think that's likely one. Hey, Jason, you're running so fast. At times, if you took an extra few minutes to you know, give some thought, I think that happens a lot. Uh, being present is the same thing that comes from that. When I'm slowing down, I'm more present with the person in front of me, including my team members. More present can have more of an impact in terms of really showcase that I'm there to support and love that my team member and then actively listening to them. I think those are things that my character, so to speak. Mm. You know, my DNA wasn't always built for that, so I had to build it myself. That's probably like the answer you're going to get. And what do you think they would say are 
your one or two kind of greatest gifts and strengths? One is then energy level. Always thinking about something out and out next to do, not resting <laughs> a little. Side of running hard, right? I mean, it. It. it there it are these. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So the fact that you run hard, what feeds yeah. off that, the positive is there's the energy that comes from it. What? Yes, they, they seem they see me working hard. What I think is has been a good showcase to them. Yeah, I, I think they've also seen me go from being far more serious at times to a lot less serious now. In terms of, uh, do you think your dad, the things you went through with your dad, did that, did that drive some of that for you? Yes, definitely did. It it, it changed what I'm thinking about in a meaningful way. The things I saw my clients go through this past year and in more digital, it changed me really. It's a whole different life. I'm, I'm, you know, maybe it means just getting old. Some of that stuff happens, Josh. You get to, you get to catch up provision on your, 401k, you feel like you've accomplished something. This is your first year, man, right? You you can... You My can second year. Technically, it's when you turn, the year you turn 50 and a half. So right. Okay, so you can open a little bit. Good enough. Nice. nice. I wouldn't get to suggest, though, you people run to the end of the earth, jump off, and hold on with one pinky and come crawling back. I had some personal, some professional challenges, Josh, mm. that most people who know me a long time know that uh, 10, 15 years ago, I struggled with some things in my personal life mm-hmm. that was impacting my professional life. Mm-hmm. And I've had some team members around that went through all of that and they're awesome. And I would say I've got great friends in this industry that supported me through it all, mm-hmm. but it, it, it took me some time to address it. So I'm really blessed that, that at the industry, you know, there's people that, that, are, that have been very open to, Hey, Jason, this is nice to see uh, growth and, and evolution of uh, anybody can do it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, pe- listeners of the show know a little bit, and I've been pretty open about some of the challenges I kind of went through with this, I call it a little midlife crisis and, and leaving and whatnot. And some, it's so funny because you think about like we live in this world and, and, you know, you get, you sell your business, buy out and, you know, people think like the, the money is nice, but like pretty quickly, mm-hmm. it kind of wears off. Very quickly, in a, lot of, in, in a lot of ways, and and you know it, it, you know the idea of kind of having meaning and relationships and and being able to kind of serve others and do good work, and you know I I look back at some of my and and again I don't know the, like you said ten or fifteen years ago, but but some of those things that that kind of had an impact both personally and professionally, like I dealt with similar things, and you know in the midst of it, it's so hard, they're hard to deal with, and they they you know there's a lot of like I know for me, I look back though, like kind of my lowest moments over the past, what I would consider to be kind of low lights over the past like year and a half. I actually, now that I'm kind of through them, I'm like, you know what? I think those things are going to be kind of a, a highlight of my life. I'm um, 100% with you there. I wouldn't change a thing about my life mm-hmm. because it, it, the things I know today, I, I learned from going through some of that stuff. Yeah. I know how strong I am. You know, I know I, I need to learn some of those lessons. But to me, there's, there's a lot more of that. And I also want to be able to, again, help those around me that, that go through something similar. Hey, look at things uh, a little different. And, you know, I mean, Josh, this is, first of all, thank you for, again, for inviting me today. This has been a, a great conversation. It reminds me of a lot of, 20, been doing this 20 years, a lot of things baked up in the head that I have to start thinking about. But uh, it, it's been great. I also, I do want to recognize, I started off talking about my dad. Being part of a family business is different than others. Mm. You know, I called my dad Barney in the office and how we interacted. And my mom was the silent, not so silent partner. I had to go home and have these conversations. Me selling the business and be part of One Digital allowed me to transition my conversations at home from mm. being only about business, which they didn't have to be. It just was a landing spot for me and my dad and my mom and the whole thing to now I'm having more meaningful conversations about everything else life can offer. Mm. And to me, that that's a blessing from being able to go through this exercise and getting a, and getting out of the family business in a very healthy and exciting way. It's so funny. I talked to one, one of my good, one of my best friends, guy who walked with me very closely over the past year and a half. He's the president of a, a insurance brokerage firm phenomenal guy and it's a family-owned business and you know he was actually saying this morning he said he was having a drink later today 
with another buddy of ours who was a former client of mine as well that was in a family-owned business. So both these guys are, are, are good friends. One guy's really, really close friends of mine. Both guys, good friends. Both had family-owned business, one in insurance, one in real estate. And both were clients of mine. And uh, But I talked to, to the guy and he said, you know, having getting together with so-and-so later tonight. And we've been talking a lot recently about like family-owned businesses. And he's like, I have to say like, it's like the best career decision I ever made. And it's like the worst career decision I've ever made. He said, it's worked out great, but like, there's just a lot, there's a lot of dynamics that come into play with family-owned business. And even, you know, father-son, like did, did you said... Barney, is that your dad's? Yeah. So how hard was it when you kind of came in? Like, what was that whole process? Like, how'd you guys figure out your working dynamic over the years? And what were some of the, what are some of the things you learned in terms of that relationship over time? Uh, Well, it it took some time. My dad is an old school life insurance guy and, and he sold health insurance too. I was already had started five years of Lake Mason as an investment professional. Okay. But I was already in this mindset of I need to be a specialist mm-hmm. if I want to be really good in, in whatever field. And to me, that was what we were talking about, I need to be a specialist. And so we sold off the health insurance clients that we had. We dialed down a lot of our life insurance or other type of things. And it became a very sole focus of retirement plan advising, even to the point where I wasn't even providing participant services or wealth management for a while because I wanted to be the very, very best at what we did. So Jerry Garcia used to always say, you don't want to be known as, as the best at what you do. You want to be the one that you want to be known as the only one that does what you do. Mm. So I would use, I get to squeeze in a Jerry Garcia quote in our podcast. Mm-hmm. So I was not intentional, but well I want to be the only one that, that, that did it that way. And nobody taught me the 401k business. I did it myself and, and felt that dad, we had to stay focused in this business. It's going to give us this lift. And then as, as time went on, you know, realized that how important it was to have knowledge of these other areas of the business that, hey, what we could do for benefit clients or financial planning for the clients actually did play a part. I just wasn't focused on that or didn't invest in that part of the business. I get to do it now in one digital because we're now all those things. But I think the part with my dad was to see my dad also go from his career changed some from being small firms that did health insurance, that business moving to large firms that were specialists life insurance. His friends were passing away or retiring and they were no longer the breadwinners. It was all my friends that were becoming the breadwinners. And so the transition of who our clients were was happening at the same time. The HR people that my dad dealt with when he, you know, were, were retiring and now being replaced with at the time 30 year old HR people that were closer to my peer. So it was a fun, it, it, that all those things happened during our 20 plus years of working together. We had some hard days. We went through the market downturn in, in late 2000s, and uh, that was very difficult for us also in terms of the impact on our company and had to let some people go at that time to rebuild and refocus. So I don't, again, I wouldn't want to change the story at all. The hardest part is having a conversation about how do you succeed? That was the succession story because a career, he defined himself by his career. Mm. So if I was going to take the career away from him to retire, what was his definition of himself? Mm. And so a lot of the work that we had to go through was really inward looking and, and him thinking about what his life is defined as. And I got to be part of that story with him. And, the, and by the way, it's the same thing for me. Do you, think you would, do you think, do you think prior to him going, like you, you going through all that, would you say that your life was defined by work? Yes, I, I do. It was, I worked, my hobby was working. Mm-hmm. My, my cocktail party conversations is how many full and cape plans in town. I know every detail about, you know, it was like, I, I wanted to, um, you know, how often am I on an airplane going to some conference? Everything was defined by work. Mm-hmm. And even my kids know that dad's on an airplane, but I worked hard to provide for what we have. And the things to think about today are different. What am I doing to add value? What am I doing in my community to do a difference? How am I spending my time with my kids? the loved ones that are beyond my kids that I like, it's really different of how I'm spending my personal time mm-hmm. and reminding everybody that that work-life balance stuff is real. And we have a responsibility to our clients 
but our clients want us to take care of ourselves too. And so let's make sure we're doing our best and build a team around you and trust them, you know? Yeah. That's what they're for. You got, you got to fully let, let, let it go and, and, and trust them and support them. So, so to, to get back, cause I think this is, you bring up a really, really good point. And at the end of the day, right. I think what is you're trying to kind of assemble talent and, and, a team and then build a culture, right? Like you said, in these deals, the economics always work. It's really the culture that kind of, you know, you can always make numbers work, but, but you, you probably, I think you alluded to it. I mean, I know I had clients over the years that like wound up selling, you know, they got a bunch of money and I would see them later on and they'd be like, man, I wish I never would have done it. It was a, you know, it's not what I thought, like my team, everybody's leaving and whatnot. So, you know, the, the culture piece is important, but to really inspire, I think team members, right. You have to, like you said, you have to trust them. You have to give them opportunity yes. and you have to give them credit. Let them shine. A lot of times as advisors, like we want to be kind of front and center as opposed to like really changing this mindset. You know, it's kind of like the difference of being the star player versus being the coach, what do you think just in the industry in general, though, with a lot of this M&A, it's really great for founders and guys our age that kind of built these firms, put on the whole time they sell, they get kind of the benefits of, you know, the economics of that. But you've got these newer advisors that actually are younger advisors that haven't, you know, they haven't built equity. Maybe they haven't bought in or if they do have equity, it's such a small piece that now they're kind of. Are they trading out? There's so much M&A. Do you think that's good for the industry? Do you think the independent space is just going to be dead? Do you think that the flip side of a lot of this M&A, though, is you've got people younger in their career that their upside is basically kind of getting traded away? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. I, I think I, I see a lot more value of what we're doing, at least here at One Digital, to our clients and more opportunity if you're really a salesperson or a consultant that can do more for clients. I think it makes sense from a you know, bigger firms, we can leverage our assets and strength to provide better products and cost for products to clients. And it makes sense. It'd be very difficult to operate at the same pace that a lot of us did. We're independent because when we were all independent, but we had these study groups that we'd still spend a lot of time with each other and share each other's ideas here and there. So it was a loose affiliation. I think it's going to be hard to compete with advisors that are independent and small, marching forward, unless it's really a unique industry or service excellence. Because I've got, you know, I can now leverage education folks across the country. I can do, there's just things that I can do that I couldn't do before. The bench, the bench is a lot deeper now that you have it's not just on retirement. You, you used that before we started recording, you know, you hear all about kind of convergence and cross selling. You called it cross solving, which again, I thought was kind of this, a genius, a genius little twist. Of, I stole uh, that one, man. I stole it. I give credit. I stole that one. But, but cross solving really is the idea though. Can we help solve a problem the client is having? But it also takes somebody like an advisor to me that is aware, that knows what to look for. Mm. So, you know, I've got a great group of people. Situational awareness, basically. Yes, perfectly said. Mm. I said, more than reading the room, you have to be able to really know your client. And there's people that represent all these different industries that tap in their minds and say, tell me about this industry. What pain might they be having? So I'm better steward when I walk into my client. I say, here's, are you experiencing this? Here's how we're solving it elsewhere. I, I do think, however, the flip side, all record-keeping consolidation isn't so healthy for our clients that if there's only three record keepers in a few years, it's like a cabal, um, it's like a cabal where they, it's like OPEC. It's not so cool. And so I think there's been some mistakes in record keeping during pandemic things like, Oh yeah, you can access a hundred thousand dollars of your money. That decision was made way faster than anybody actually was looking at, you know, if the average account balance is far less than that, why give access to people? Right. Well, I give people access to money that they maybe their entire account balance, right? And they were using it. And why do it in a default version making versus having a committee making a decision? So I think the firms that allowed a committee to vet it out, to maybe set a lower threshold, yeah. 
we're thinking about the business and the impact better. So I think that there's some things there that I think will evolve. Um, I, there are some new emerging players in that space. I expect there to be more because of technology and fintech. And I expect companies like Google or Amazon that use all their data uh, you know, aggregation and all the things they have in front of them to, to be able to say, hey, we want to be in our space too. And um, I can see some things happening and record keeping that would change the, you know, the world that we're living in today. What's your take on there's like this frenemy thing going on right now? I mean, it's always kind of it's always kind of been there with, you know, record keepers and vendors. Some are much more kind of advisor centric friendly. Others are very kind of unfriendly. What's your take on how things are evolving in terms of it seems like early on you had, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I first got started, like you had a lot of record keepers who had much stronger direct relationships with plant sponsors. And then you had folks like us who kind of came in, who kind of disintermediated those relationships and now yes. moved into like trusted advisor. And so in a lot of cases, record keepers got a, not that they were unimportant, but they got kind of like moved to a different seat. But now the fight for the participant, yes. they're, they're trying to get back in the game. That's the gold, right? Is the, is the gold of there. I think that it's the difference between serving your masters. Is your master the owner of your company, right? Your public trade company, your owner of your company is just trying to max out profits. Yeah. Or are you really putting the end user client first? I think advisors are, are far better at recognizing what's healthier for the employee and, and we're fighting from a different place a lot. I, I want to be friends with all the rec keepers because you don't know when things change. I, I do know this, the data all supports, the data supports a plan with an advisor is a healthier plan. No question. If they carved it out better, a specialty advisor is a far healthier plan without. So, when they go direct, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. They should force an advisor, I think, in some ways, because we make the plan stickier, healthier, we can solve a lot of problems. I can see the TPA market being squeezed a bit more as we move on as more and more fully bundled products. And I haven't heard a whole lot about that size of that industry shrinking, but my suspicion is is it will change too, because the value that a TPA adds is different than it used to. Still a lot of value, but it's changing. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's it's one of those ones where I want to be friends with all the top record keeping executives because you want to keep your friends close and your sure. enemies closer. They're, they're not our, they're, you know, they're they're not our enemies at all. At the end of the day, everything we do is a people business. So there are great people at each of these firms. I want to align myself with great people. Great people are always open to new ideas. They see the value that the person can bring to the table. They want to work towards a solution, usually work together in some way. And I think that if we if you turn it into that, it's easy to get across the fact that nobody's really doing anything against the other party. We're all trying to solve to help our, our clients and our companies be successful. And I think that's, that's that version of me being less serious than it used to be yeah. and not, not calling out, but recognizing there's a lot we can do to help people. We still have a major problem, by the way, Josh, which is how many people don't have a retirement plan? How many people have and they aren't using it? How many people have one? But when you ask them how much money they have, it's like 50 grand right. or 100,000 bucks or the median account balance is a third of that. There's just so many problems that, that, that we still have to address that I think we need everybody still working and that we're moving in the same direction, pushing as hard as we can. Do you think, so a couple of quick comments, the one that you're talking about, I, I, I always used to say to record keepers, and I would say I had a, cordial professional, but very much an arm's length. I was, I kind of was much more of a, I would get people probably would have described me as more of a, a purist, but like one of the conversations I used to have is I would say, look, we need to work well together. We play different roles and we need to be arm's length. But I was like, the visual should be like, think about like a triangle, like, and the clients at the top of the triangle and we're at both at the bottom of the triangle. As we each try to move closer to the client, it actually brings us closer together. So like, if you want to have a good relationship with me, don't worry about having a good relationship with me. Worry about having a better relationship with the client. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be more focused on my relationship with them than you. But if we are both 
oars in the water rowing in the same direction of how do we serve the client well, yeah, it's likely we're going to work better together because we're not, we're, we're trying to serve to your point. Yeah. Trying to serve the appropriate master, not the wrong master. Yeah. You said it better than I said it, but that, that's your spot on. And I, I think anyway, and I, and I, I think, but, but using voice, like you just said, and some of our peers, I want people speaking the same language because I don't, it doesn't, it's not going to help any of us to have parties <laughs> to call each other out when um, we can just get better at it. Last question. And then we'll wrap is, do you think advisors generally do a good enough job pushing clients to make the hard decisions? Oof. I think um, most of us do. Those that have run our own firms that built it from nothing, you know, we do because we that's that's what our intent was all along. I think that some people get hired along the way that have only been trained by the person before them and maybe didn't have the same passion. They just knew to ask this question or how to solve that problem. I think it gets maybe right a little bit of a little bit of goes away as it gets passed on to the next level. What if they don't have the same passion for trying to make a difference as we did there and more of a, of a job. So I think if it's the right advisor who, who's working to make a difference and you can tell who they are based on their innovation, based on their interest in, in adding content at conferences and using their voice or Maybe they're better off at writing a white paper. I think those that are in the mix trying to change things, we're all doing it for the right reasons. And it's selfless. And it's, yeah, we're making a difference in those plans. And others are just, if you're just working there as a career, don't have the same passion, maybe not have the same impact on the plan. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying, no, I, I... You know, I think the difference between, I've said this a lot, is that there's a big difference between like an elite advisor and even a good advisor. And there's a huge difference between a good and an average advisor. But I do think the, I think elite advisors are actually the most courageous ones. And they're willing, you know, one of the phrases I, I like to use and I use a lot is, you know, is your goal to like make a difference or is your goal just to kind of get hired and stay hired? And I think that speaks to what you were saying. If your goal is just to kind of get hired and stay hired, if it's just kind of a job, a career, you're probably not going to push clients and have hard conversations and stand up to them because you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to run the risk yeah. of like, oh my gosh, like, could I get fired here? As opposed to if you have the courage to not be afraid of clients and actually lead clients to make the decisions that quite frankly, they probably would opt out of making on their own. Like, I think courage is the, that's the number one trait of elite uh, officers, my opinion. My, I, I, so my, I'll, I'll wrap with my final comment, which is I actually, people ask me, what's my best clients have what in common? And it's three things. There's a commitment from leadership that the retirement plan is an important part of their organization or their benefit structure. Two, there's an active and engaged decision-making body, committee or group that meets. But the third one is the most important one. They want to listen to a new idea and have the courage to try a few. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that make the difference. If they just want to hear the numbers each time and never make a decision, the plans aren't really going to grow or evolve and change. Yeah. But it's definitely the ones that want to, to have the courage to try something different. Those are also the plans that you or I get attracted to. 100%. They're a lot more fun. Yeah. And, and I, it keeps me awake and happy. So I, well, I think that's a great takeaway. And just for listeners, advisors, especially if you were early in your earlier in your career is Jason just did a phenomenal job and, and, and of laying out like these are the three criteria that makes up an ideal client for me. I want to spend my time finding more of those. You don't have to have the same three criteria, but you should come up with a set of criteria that represents clients that that are ideal for you and that are life-giving, not life-taking. Life's too short to work with clients that suck the life out of you. But if you can come up with three or four or five characteristics, probably fewer is better, then you can use that as a filter when you're having conversations to see if people align with those. Because I promise you, if you find people who align, like Jason just said, with criteria that brings him kind of life, they're just fun engagements to work on. So, yeah. 
This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Where can people stay connected with you? Um, what's the best way if people want to follow you or reach out or stay connected? Or uh, you can you can track me down at jadechepnick at onedigital.com. I can't even say it out loud, but uh, jadechepnick at onedigital.com. And I'll give up my cell phone number because that's the best way to track me down is 407. How about that? 407-620-3479. Really, I, I love spending time with you, Josh, and and it's nice to spend time with people that are really making a difference in this industry, and you are, and I appreciate you. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate appreciate your transparency, your honesty, your great ideas, and, and, and really excited for what's going on. And you are the first guest. This is episode 35 or 36. You're the first guest to ever give out their cell phone. So that's, I'll, uh, I'll report back to see what's going to Remember you say, my worst idea. Be careful what you wish for. Next time you interview my, my worst idea ever may be actually giving up my cell phone. But we'll see how that is. All right. All right. Hey, take care, man. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Jason Chepnick from One Digital. If you'd like more information or to learn more, go to fiduciaryworks.com slash podcast. And while you're there, make sure to check out Fiduciary Rx, my new tech platform that helps retirement plan advisors diagnose, prescribe, and improve fiduciary wellness. And make sure to sign up on the site so we can stay connected. I'd love to help you stay in the know about what's happening in the world of corporate retirement plans. And if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Also, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcast. It's the best way to help other people find the show when I read each one. Until next time, Thanks again for listening to the Fiduciary You podcast.